Uh, the Word of God is living and active, isn't it? How many of you have been following along with me as we've been going through Galatians and you're just amazed at how chock full uh, it is of just meat and good stuff that we can chew on? You know, the Bible tells us that we should seek to move away from milk and that, that, you know, that, that really watered down substance that, that we need it at first. You know, we need some of that, uh, some of those elementary things the Bible would teach that we need those elementary things. But we should long to move away from those elementary things and get into, get into the meat of it, get into the substance of it. And that's what we're trying to do as we just open up the book of Galatians and just start moving through the book. And so today I want to cover a little bit more ground in Galatians. I hope you've been keeping up. I do still have a few more of these um, Christ-centered expositions on Galatians by uh, Tony Merida, which Hambone said that he knows Tony, and David Platt. Uh, I've been reading this, and it's, it's good. It's really good. They've, they offer some really good insights. And I've come to find out that this, is, this reads a lot like it can be used kind of as a, a commentary slash devotional as well because there at the end of uh, chapter 1, they've got some questions and reflections and discussions where you can kind of get in and see what God showed you through what they were teaching and what they were teaching about the book of Galatians. But nevertheless, what we want to do is we want to get a good, firm understanding of the Word of God. You see, there's lots of preachers today, and today is Pastor Appreciation Day. I didn't even know it until I got here to the church today, so a lot of you have said, I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate that you appreciate me. I appreciate it, all right? But we should be looking. Sometimes a pastor can be held to this lofty position of fame, and you see a lot of that in our culture today. You see the, and I won't call any names, but you see the pastors of the mega churches, and and the, and a lot of the times we get into this this rub or this habit of elevating them to this place of superstar, and that can be very dangerous. I can understand some of that, but we can see what happens when that. When that is the, is the case in Acts chapter 15 and 16, when Paul starts doing amazing things through the Word of God, and I bring this out because this really coincides with Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Bible is really, really cool in that it is written as a historical document, uh, and it does contain several different types of genres. But what I really like about the Bible is that it's so coherent. It's absolutely and perfectly consistent throughout the book, and it absolutely uh, justifies and confirms itself in multiple sections. What you need to understand about the Bible is the Bible is not one book, but actually the, the Bible is a library of books. And uh, while we have 66 books in the Bible, we have over 40 different authors written over a, a period of about 4,000 years. So this is really an extensive library that was given to us by the Spirit of God through the hands of men. And we know because of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That word is theonoustos, meaning that it came from God Himself. Now, men penned it, men wrote it, and their personalities are seen in it, but it was inspired by God. It came from God, and we can test it with its internal consistencies and see that it absolutely confirms itself across the board. And that's what we should do is have Scripture interpret Scripture to get the real good original meaning of Scripture so that we can know how to properly apply it to ourselves. A lot of times what happens is, is that you have great communicators that are really gifted at 
uh, at doing innovative things uh, with, with their imaginations and with their opinions and methods and systems, which isn't always necessarily bad. I think Paul was an innovator in, in, in and of his own right, as we see in the Areopagus when he went and he looked at their different gods and he said, I see here that you have several different gods. Let me tell you about this one. And then he used that to, to, to show them the gospel. But a lot of the times what happens is, is that we have such gifted communicators that their communication skills are the ends and the means. So they, they gather lots of people to themselves because they're so good at what they do, but they fail to take them to the place that God has called them to take them to, namely a right understanding of the Word of God. What's the danger in this? If we gather 40,000 people to ourselves, but we, we do it on our own opinion and our own giftings and our own uh, philosophies, what's the danger in that? The danger in that is, is that it doesn't matter how good of a communicator I am, and it doesn't matter how wonderfully gifted I am or my insights and innovations, only the Word of God is the power of salvation. So it doesn't matter if we gather 30,000 people that are bound for hell and they have no understanding of what the Word of God says. All we do is have an un a bunch of unbelievers together in one place. So we need to understand the scriptures. Now, great oratory skills or communication skills should be pointed back to Jesus Christ, back to the gospel. In Galatians, what's going on here is that Galatians, I mean, Paul has been called by God. God. Jesus Christ revealed himself on the road to Damascus. You can find that account in Acts chapter 9. And when I was talking about the Bible confirming the Bible, if you go and read this, now those of you who like to study, you like to get in, you're going to appreciate this. Some of you don't care and that might be okay. That's between you and God. But, but in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and really chapter 1 through chapter 2, this coincides with or can be paralleled with Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11, and Acts chapter 15. What we see in Acts chapter 9, 11, and 15 is we see this is Luke's recording of what happened in the life of the disciples and what happened as the Holy Spirit was moving in the disciples and in the apostles and as he was building a kingdom of God, as he was proclaiming Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and the resurrected King Jesus, and he was pouring out the Holy Spirit on different individuals that would come to know Jesus. Jesus Christ through this revelation of the gospel. And so Paul here says, let's go back and read now a little bit in Galatians and we'll look a little bit. I don't have a lot of time to go over to Acts, but I will parallel a few of these things for you. But let's back up now and let's look at verse 18 where we left off last week and let's just study the word of God. It is the power of salvation. It is what we need. So if you would stand with me uh, out of respect uh, for the word of God. Verse 18 reads as follows, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Now if I get past that and I don't say something about that, remind me because that, that is very insightful right there, that place in the Word. I want to show you something there that I think will really help, be really helpful to you. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Uh, may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. 
Now, what I find interesting, I'm going to go ahead and just talk about that here just, just briefly, what I just mentioned to you, because I think this is very insightful. As we look at the Bible, I've said throughout this whole little uh, series and this, uh, um, uh, this study that we're doing, I've said that the Bible oftentimes can be misunderstood as a book that's out of reach to mere humans, a book that's out of reach to mere lay Christians and not theologians and experts in uh, Greek and all these kind of things. But that's just simply not true. Uh, there are deep truths that can be found if you really dig. And, and God has really blessed some men and, and some women to really dig into those scriptures and find truths that the ordinary person, if I can say it like that, are just not gifted to find that way. Now, your gift may be compassion or encouragement, and that, that, that expositor of God's Word may not be gifted in those ways. But for the most part, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces down itself. So as you read the Bible, the Bible will read you, and it will give you a proper interpretation if you would just get in there, study the Word, look at other people, what they have written to, study the Word, and pray that God would enlighten you. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, when I go, I'm going to send the helper to you, and he will remind you and teach you these things. And so the Word of God is accessible to me and to you as lay people or as theologian, pastor, preacher, whatever it might be. Now, I bring this out right here because Galatians and the Bible in general is thought to be by many that misunderstand. And again, I don't want to take anything. You know me. If you know me, you know I love the Bible. And I believe that it is magnificent. It is beyond our expectations, and it is beyond anything that we could fully comprehend because it's new every time we open it, right? But in many ways that Paul is simply writing a letter to some people who are having issues. And I love how it reads so simply here. Check this out. Paul is just giving an account of what really happened. You see, people, a lot of people say, and I bet you've heard this if you've ever opened your mouth for Jesus, You've heard somebody say, well, the Bible was written by men, or the Bible is a legend, it's a myth, uh, it's not really true, it's just mythological writings. Well, let me read this to you, and then I want to just make just a couple of insights, and then we've got to move. Does legacy or mythology read, does Greek mythology read this way? Now, I want you to understand when this was written. This was written around 50 uh, BC, or AD. This is written around 50, 49 to 55 AD. This is around when the Greeks were writing their Greek mythologies and, and all of these types of things. That, this type of writing was not invented as make believe. Listen to what he says here. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to, vi to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. This is just an account of what he did. He says, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. He is trying to convince them that he he's not lying to them. See, many people want to say, well, this is just a mythology. This is just a, a type of legacy that was written. It wasn't really true. They were just making this up as they go. But historical narrative, or if it was made up, then it would be what we know as fiction in our day, right? Fiction, meaning that it's a what seems to be a real story, but it's made up. But fiction wasn't even invented until years after this. So this either has to be historical narrative. He really is just writing a letter that has real data, real facts, and he's really telling what happened. Or he is inventive beyond his years, and it doesn't happen again for years afterwards. Does this make sense? Do you follow me? 
So what we understand is, is that the Bible is true and trustworthy, and this really is a historical account of what happened in Paul's life. Furthermore, when we read in Acts chapter 9, uh, 11 and 15, we see Luke, his, who is a historian, who copies this stuff down. He investigates. He's a private eye. He's a historian. He goes and he gets eyewitness accounts of what happened. And then he writes it down and records it in the books of Acts. He was doing this for somebody who paid him to make sure what was written was sound and truthful. Luke is a historian, and he goes, and if you go and you read Acts 9, 11, and 15, you will find that this absolutely correlates together with what Paul wrote here in the book of Galatians. Now, we need to move on because there's a few things that I want to show you in this. It says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Now, if you'll remember last week, and we'll briefly touch, is that he is making a case for the, uh, for the reliability of the revelation and the gospel that he's been preaching. And what he is doing is he is combating, he is coming against those that have added to the gospel that he's been preaching. And he has said before, what I am preaching to you is not from the will of man, it is not from man, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he is talking about what happened, what Luke uh, records in Acts chapter 9. When he was moving along the road to Damascus, he fell off of his horse, he was blinded, then he went into uh, Damascus and he met this guy named Ananias, and Ananias prayed and laid hands on him, he received the Holy Spirit, and he was baptized and he was commissioned by God to go out. We know that what Paul was getting was the revealed word of God, and, the, and for that, there is no substitute. Now, what is, why does this matter to you? Why does this matter in our day? We understand that this matters in our day because we cannot build what we need on the opinions of men. We gather so often in our culture, we gather to ourselves men who have great communication skills, men who have great oratory skills, and men who are great innovators. But if they don't have the gospel, they don't have anything. And we should not stack them up in front of us to lie to us and to deceive us and to water down the gospel that we so desperately need. I cannot emphasize to you the importance of the Word of God, and if I or an angel comes and, and says something else to you, proclaims another gospel, may he be accursed. You see, what is the tool by which we measure that man? You see, in this church, and I can't speak for every church, but in this church, everybody in the place knows that I have put myself under the authority of the Word of God. And if you find it different in the Word of God than what I've said, then you, as the congregation, have every right to come back to me and say, Brother Brandon, this is not in the Word of God. What is your justification for saying these things? If I have no justification for, the, for, the what, for what I'm saying and for the thing that is coming out of my mouth, then we have a problem. But what is the gauge? What is the standard? What is the way that we measure the man of God that would preach the word of God to the people of God that they might be built up? You see, you say, well, it doesn't really matter that much, Brandon. I don't know why you're making such a big deal out of this. It doesn't really matter that much. I don't understand. Well, I want to skip down just for an instance, and I want to show you what happens when we compromise the word of God and when we go on great paradigms and great uh, uh, systems and methods and all that stuff 
which can be used. It can be useful. I'm not saying it can't. But if we get away from the Word of God, I want you to listen to what Paul writes. Just a few verses down in in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Now, these were people who would add to the gospel. These were people who essentially would come in and say, listen, brother, if you'll add this in on your gospel, you'll get a lot more people in the church. Listen, brother, if you'll just, if you'll, if you'll make this one tweak, if you'll, if you'll turn it just a little, I know, no, we're, no, we're not going to deny Jesus, No. We're not going to deny the resurrection? No. I ain't asking you to give that up. You'll just add in this one little thing. Man, this church will grow like fire. It'll grow like crazy. And Paul says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Even for a moment. Why? So that. There is the explanatory clause. There is the why. He says, we did not even yield just even for a little moment. Even for a moment, we didn't yield. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. If we yield the slightest bit, if we we give up a little bit on the word of God, then the gospel is not preserved and there is no way for anyone to be saved. We only have a misunderstanding of the gospel and false salvations. You want me to tell you one way that it's got into the Baptist church and many other, the, the American evangelical church? You want me to tell you how it's gotten in? The sinner's prayer. Tell me I'm wrong. The gospel is that Jesus Christ paid for our sin, and when we come into him and he comes into us, that we are imparted with his righteousness, our sins are forgiven, and we give everything to him that Jesus Christ said that if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The one who says that he loves me but does not keep my commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is the gospel, all for Jesus and nothing for ourselves. But the sinner's prayer in American evangelicalism would say that, oh, just pray this prayer. Pray this prayer, you're good. And And you say, you're making too much of that. You tell me I'm making too much of that. When I stand with a 50 year old woman, And I look her in the eye and I say, you know, Jesus Christ, she's lived like hell for 45 years. And she says, well, I prayed that prayer when I was 12. Liar. Do I not like this woman? Do I want to hurt it? No. She's believing a lie. Are you believing a lie? You say, that's too hard of preaching. Would you rather me just allow you just to walk up into hell? Sir. Christ does not live in you. The Holy Spirit does not live in you. You are not a child of God. If you are content to live in your old ways and there's nothing changed in your life, you are not a child of God. I say that because I love you. Now, will we fail? Will we make a mistake? Sure. But when you make a mistake, you're like, oh, my mistake. Yes. I love my sin. Or is it, you got to get it off. Oh, sin. The Bible says a man returning to his sins like a dog returning to its vomit. 
It's disgusting. The Bible says in the Old Testament, all of your righteousness is like minstrel, dirty minstrel cloths before the Lord. Ugh. You say, that's disgusting. Yes, it's disgusting. That's what God wants you to understand about your sin. Disgusting. Get away from it. Paul goes on and says, he's establishing it. He's, he's rooting it deep down. He's rooting it deep down. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you, therefore, up what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. What is he saying? He's reiterating it over and over and over and over. He's saying, I did not get this even from the apostles. I, this was revealed straight from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is the gospel. This is what we follow. I know they're telling you that you need to be circumcised. I know they're telling you that you need to follow the law. I know that they're elevating Moses to the place of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you that only Jesus Christ and his grace is so sufficient for salvation you understand what Paul's saying he's saying that it is by nothing else it is Jesus Christ and Jesus alone I would say unto you the same exact thing it's by Christ and Christ alone and then he goes on I, I love this part right here verse 21 verse 21 he says then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia you understand this is more toward uh, Paul's hometown in Tarsus, which is just a little, if you're looking at the map, it's just a little to the right. of. It's in the region of Cilicia, and Syria is just to the left of that, and Tarsus is there. There's a really cool story in Acts chapter 14 where Paul is uh, ministering in these cities, and he's ministering in these regions, and he's in Iconium, and uh, and, he's, and, he's, and he's ministering the gospel in, in Antioch, and, and, and he's preaching the word of God. And, and these Jews come after him, right? They get, they, they get hate-filled, and they come after him. And it says they stone him and leave him for dead. They left him, assuming him to be dead. How, how bad do you have to be beaten? For they just say, okay, that's good enough. We're sure he's going to die. Let's go. And then, and then it says the disciples gathered around him, and he was strengthened. And he stood up, and if I could put the map up, I should have put the map up. But if I could put the map up, if you could understand how this works, this is beautiful. And, and, and it fits in with what we're saying here in Galatians. I'm going to show you. It's good. So in Acts chapter 14, this is all this same time, right? And, and Paul, man, he's going to war. He's going, see, I'm trying to get you to stand up for the word of God when somebody would talk to you the wrong way. They're busting Paul's mouth. They're hitting him with stones big enough. They're not throwing gravel at him, right? Heath, how long would it take you to throw gravel at me until I was dead? I'm like, stop it, Heath. Stop it. That hurts. Stop that, right? You're not going to kill me with gravel. So they're heaving boulders, boom, and hitting him in the face. Boom, hit him in the face. But he doesn't back down. How important is the gospel? It's important enough to die for. I can't, I can't stress it enough. It's important, it's important enough, Brother Lance, that we would die for it. You see, our culture, our government, everybody is telling us to abandon the Word of God, even our preachers, even some of our American preachers who are the most influential in America are saying things like, the Bible is old-fashioned. We need to move on. We need to develop a new method to, 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 to reach our culture. <sighs> Sit down and shut up. 
You have nothing to offer except lies and condemnation. Because outside of the scriptures, there's nothing else. You say you're being too hard. No, I'm not. I am holding up the banner, that, the only banner that can save. And if you don't do it, then you're not, if you won't hold up the word of God, you're not being loving and tolerant. You're being abuseful, and you're being neglectful, and you're being condemning. I don't know how else to explain it. Intolerant? Yes, I'm very intolerant. I'm intolerant of every other way that will make you burn in hell. I don't understand how I am intolerant because I want you to know Christ and be saved. Paul's willing to die. Now, getting back to uh, Iconium and, and, and Antioch, when he, when he stoned to death and they, and they really thought he was dead, this is just historical narrative, okay? This is a recording of what really happened, okay? Read uh, George Washington's biography. We have, more, uh, we have more evidence that the story of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is true than we have for George Washington. I don't know if I can trust the Bible that was written by men. Who the heck wrote your math book? Was there a ghost up in there right now? <laughs> so the true story is, is that, that Paul, he's preaching the gospel, man. He's laying it out there. And they're hating him because people are believing him. And they are leaving Judaism. They are leaving the old way of the old covenant. Now, we know that Paul absolutely holds the Old Testament to the highest regard. He is not. He is not. Uh, saying that it's useless. He is not saying that it was wrong. He is not. But what he is saying is, is that you don't understand that the Old Testament law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And the Old Testament law was perfect. It was perfect. But you were weak. Go read Romans chapter 8. He said, what the, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his son in the likeness of, of human flesh, that he, might, that he might be a sin offering. That he might condemn sin in the flesh. That's Romans chapter 8. So what Paul is, Paul is not saying, forget Moses, forget Abraham, forget the law. No, Paul is saying the law is not good enough to save. The law is not able to save. As a matter of fact, we already touched it in here. All the law can do is condemn. Why? Because it's bad? No. Why? Because what? who's bad, huh? We're bad. That's why the law condemns. It's just like when I tell Asher, if I want my son to do something, you know what I do? I tell him not to do it. I'm not even kidding. Ask my wife. We have the best pictures. You know why? Because I tell all my boys, don't you smile. And they all go like, am I lying? Am I lying? I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Z, don't you smile. <laughs> He's just laughing. Well, that's what, that's, what the, that's what Paul tells us in several different books. In Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, he talks about this. He says the law was put over you as a, as a, as a caretaker. 
as a, as a babysitter, so to speak, in hopes, in waiting for Jesus Christ to fulfill the law and write that law on our hearts, Ezekiel chapter 36. We can go back there right now. Don't bother me at all. But it says, he, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, live it out perfectly to the T, I mean perfectly, and then give himself in our place for our sins because we couldn't do it, Brother Paul. He could do it. We couldn't. We deserve to die. He didn't. He lived perfectly and deserved to live, but he didn't. See, he died so that we might live. He paid the price so that we could experience the joy. You see what I'm saying? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul wasn't saying the law is no good. Paul's saying, look, you got it all wrong. This law is only going to kill you. You don't have to observe the law. As a matter of fact, the law is not what saves. It is Jesus Christ, and they hated him. Because what did it cause people to do? Stop observing some of the laws. Listen to this quote by Martin Luther. I love it. Listen to this. Martin Luther, who was one of the reformers, and this was a big problem in the Roman uh, Catholic Church, is that the Roman Catholics had taken Jesus Christ, and it's still a problem today. Now, are some Roman Catholics Christian? Yeah, I think so. But many are not. Many believe that it's faith plus works, and you can find that in their own doctrines, okay? Many recognize that that's a problem. But here at Martin Luther is, is operating in this day, and he's speaking of Galatians, and this is what he writes. He says, when we consider the obstinacy with which Romanists cling to their traditions. You don't have to understand the words before that, but when these people cling to their traditions, we can very well understand the zealous devotion of the Jews for the law. We can understand that, right? You, you say, well, I don't really get it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Those of you who in here are believers and those of you in here who are not believers, you have experienced or will experience this in a different way, but in the same way. This is how it works out in an unbeliever in our day. You need to come to Jesus. I can't come to Jesus. You need to give your life to Jesus. I can't. Why? He has eternal life for you. He has eternal reward for you. He has life even now. You don't even have to wait till heaven. You can have life now. Jesus Christ said, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Jesus Christ wants to give you life now. You need to give him your life. I can't. I can't. Why? Because it would cost me everything that I know right now. I'd have to give up all of my friends. I'd have to give up all of my ways. I'd have to give up all of the things that I love. I'd have, you see, they would lose their traditions. I told you, we hear tradition and we think independent, fundamental Baptist church. And they got some tradition, sure. You do too. Unbelievers do. It's called habitual sin. Bad traditions are anyway. Not all traditions are bad traditions. But those that would keep you from Jesus Christ are evil. And Martin Luther says... They cling to their traditions. We can very well understand the zealous devotion of the Jews for the law. After all, they had received the law from God. We can understand how impossible it was for recent converts from Judaism suddenly to break with the law. You see, they hated, they hated Paul because Paul was they thought Paul was destroying the very fabric of their being. It would be no different than somebody walking in here saying, Jesus Christ is not the way. He was just pointing to the way. What would you do? Come on. Right? We're going to war over that, right? 
But the truth of the gospel had been revealed on high. That's why he's saying over and over and over and over and over. I'm not just trying to simply change your mind. This is not a good idea. I received this from God Almighty, Jesus Christ himself, who is the Lord. Well, they beat him to death. They thought that they had killed him. But then the disciples gather around him. This is in Acts chapter 14. The disciples gather around him, and he is strengthened, and he stands up. Now, on the map, I I did come back. You thought I forgot. On the map, uh, Iconia and Antioch is here. Well, it'd be here, uh, Syria, Cilicia, uh, Derby, and Tarsus is over here, okay? Now, he gets up, and he goes into Derby, which is toward his hometown of Tarsus, and he ministers to the gospel, and in Derby, he had a decision to make. He was headed home. Now, I don't know why he was headed that way. I think I know why. He was headed home. He was headed toward Derby, which is toward home. He ministered in Derby, and in Derby, he made this decision. I can go a little bit farther, just a little bit farther. I can go to the house. Get this. I just go to the house. Or he looks up to the right, northwest. Or I can go right back to Antioch preach the gospel where they just left me for dead which way did he go Antioch oh believer what's got you down oh believer are you weak weak in your faith you weak in your proclamation of the gospel take heart take heart this world ain't got nothing on you take heart He says, then I went into the regions of of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. I thought I was going to get into chapter 2, maybe not. It's okay. It's okay. I I got something I want to show you here because this is good. No, this really is. I'm so excited. So. What he's saying. Now, we already we, we read back. We, we touched on this a while back. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism. This is back in uh, 114. I'm sorry. We already touched on this a little bit. Let's go back to 13. This was his testimony. This was Paul's testimony, right? And we said that, that, that God called uh, Paul before he was even born. That's what Paul says. And then we went over and we read what Paul wrote about you, that before the foundations of the earth, you were set apart. That God chose you in him before the foundations of the world. So you, like Paul, have a purpose before you were ever knit together in your mother's womb. So we have authority. You see what I'm saying? We don't walk around home. We don't walk around defeated. We don't walk around thinking, I wonder, I wonder this, I wonder that. See, no. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that God knew you, Robert, before you were ever knit together in your mother's womb. That's why we are dead against abortion at any stage. Because God's knitting that, get that baby together. God knew that baby before that, that baby was ever a baby. You say, when does life happen? In God's mind. When does life happen? In God's mind. I told you before that when God speaks, it's like deed. There's not a distinction. It's not like God speaks and then, okay, come on, words, get busy. When he speaks, it's done. 
And the only way a life can happen is if God speaks it into existence. And he's only speaking what he's thinking. Where does life happen? It happens in the mind of God. Now, Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we, that we are chosen, chosen in him before the foundations of the world. So you've got purpose, people. You've got authority. Uh, the book of 2 Corinthians will say that we are ambassadors of Christ. You see, we say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I don't really affect me any, but I'm a, I'm a believer. No, you're not. No, you're not. Don't you lie. Believers, here, I put this on Facebook the other day. I'll put it out there for you. Some think that salvation is strictly personal. That's why they can say stupid things like, I had church at home by myself. No, you didn't. No, you, no, you didn't. Did you have a baptism? Y'all, did y'all observe the Lord's Supper? Somebody preach and somebody worship? Well, I can do that by myself. No, you can't. Not like that. It ain't a church. You might do that. It ain't a church. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together. That was a little rabbit. I chased it and I kicked it. I'm good. I, I, I ain't worried about it no more. But I'm going to tell you right now, if Jesus Christ has made an impact on your life and you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you cannot be the same. Can't. Can't. Because God is powerful. And when he moves on you, you move. When God moves on you, you move. Now, you might stumble, you might fall, but you get up and you move. You, you might be back from something crazy, but you get up and you move. You get up and you move. You can't be held down because Jesus Christ can't be held down, and he lives inside of you. He said you were set apart for the foundation of the Word. Now, let me tell you something right now. Listen to this. He says, but, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. You see, what he's saying here is, is that I was a persecutor of the church. I was a destroyer of the church. I was commissioned by the Pharisees, and I had rights. You go and read in Acts. Paul had actual commission, authoritative rights to arrest any Christian that he came in contact with. He was a destroyer of the church. That's what he was. But now I want, you to, I want you to see this because many of you sitting in this room, you think, God can never use me because of what I've done. You think, God can never use me because of this stack of sin in my life. God can never use me because of this evil that I've done. You don't know what I've done, Brandon. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've thought. And Paul would be the one saying that. Paul says in the book of Timothy, he says, he says that I was the foremost sinner. But I want to show you something that should uh, take that frown and turn it upside down and, and show you that not only can God overcome your frailties and your weaknesses, but it will be the very power that he uses to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. Now, this is the Bible. I don't need, I don't need really cool, fun. In, no, just let me read the Bible. He says, I was still unknown. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. You see, many times we think that we've got to be somebody. We've got to have a seminary degree. We got to be famous. We got to be the pastor. We got to be the preacher. We got to be known. But Paul says, I was unknown. 
They didn't know me. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. This was a man of great power. He went to the third heavens. He had so much revelation and so much power that it said God sent to him a spirit that would, that would shake him up and keep him humble. Do you remember that thorn? God sent that thorn. He didn't just accidentally step on it. God is sovereign in all of his decrees. And Paul himself says that he sent a ministering spirit to me, a harmful spirit that would come and it would come against me. Why? Because I'd had so much revelation. This was a powerful man of God. But to these people, he was unknown. Unknown. He says, then I went up to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us. You see, they were only hearing of how evil he was. Oh, you should be getting excited, people of God. They were only hearing of how sinful and wretched this man was. You say, I'm too wretched and sinful. Maybe, maybe, maybe God allowed you to go down that sinful, wretched path that you might have a more powerful testimony. Huh? Maybe God is going to use your gloom for his glory. Maybe God is going to use your sin for their salvation. Maybe what you meant for evil, God is meaning it for good. Maybe God is using your trouble for their treasure. He says, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what happened? What happened? And they glorified God because of me. Now you got two options here. You see, some people think that salvation is is strictly personal. And it is personal. Praise the Lord. But it is also purposeful. It's not just personal. It's purposeful. And while the gospel is what we preach, while the gospel is the power of salvation, the transformation of your life is the proportion and the power to preach that gospel. You see? You see, men and women of God? You're in a low spot. Praise the Lord. Your, your weakness manifests His perfect power. You say you're in a, in, a, in a terrible place, but when God lifts you up, it shows His face. You want to know something right now? The worst, most despicable, disgusting act in the room can be used for His glory if you only allow Him to transform your life. You see, this is twofold. Isn't it beautiful? No other religion offers this. No, they condemn you for your horrible sin and they reward you for your righteousness that you don't even have. Only Jesus Christ, praise my, praise my King Jesus. Only Jesus Christ says all of your horrible wretchedness I will use for my glory and your good. Man, that's good. That's good. Let's all stand to our feet. Listen, people. My God, my God.
is the great redeemer. My God is the regenerator. My God is the reconciler. My God is the wrecking ball that takes away your sin and imparts to you the righteousness of God. For anyone in the room that hears my voice, let me say unto you today, there is nothing that you've done that not only can God not forgive, but that He can use in His proclamation of His gospel through you. How beautiful. How beautiful. God wants to take your shame. God wants to take your shame and glorify His name. Will you let Him? Why, people of God, would you hold on to your shame? Why would you hold on to your guilt? Why would you hold on to the the traditions in your life that have yielded no return? When our great God and Savior has come down out of heaven, who was in the very form of God, took on, took on the form of a servant, a slave. Give your life to Christ. There's nowhere else to go. Give your life to Him. There's nothing else. Nothing else. I preach this with all of my heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ redeems. And it is enough to save you to the uttermost. And transform you into a transformer. Don't you understand that God wants to save you? But He wants to create in you a vessel that would display the glory of God. And others would look on it and they would say, where did you get that? I need it. Do you got that in your life today? Do you got power in your life today and peace in your life today that somebody else would walk along and say, can I have what you have, brother? Do you got it in your life that somebody would come along and they would say, please tell me where you got this. Please tell me where your peace comes from. Or do you got pain and struggle and turmoil and strife? My God is a God of hope. My God is a God of hope. Don't delay. Come to Him, please. The time is now. The time is right now. Don't you leave this room without power and victory through Jesus Christ. We got work to do, people. Come on, get rid of that guilt. Get rid of that shame. Lay it at the foot of the cross. It's been paid for. If you carry it around, that's on you. I've told you about the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Respond to Jesus. Come grab me. Fall on your face where you are. I don't care. Get right with Jesus Christ. Get right. Let's go.